This is the On the Banks podcast, presented by SB Nation. Welcome to the On the Banks podcast. I am your host, Greg Petuto, coming at you on this lovely Tuesday afternoon as the weather continues to feel more like fall. The heat wave seems to be over here in New Jersey. No more temperatures around 100 degrees as we're creeping below into the 80s with a nice breeze that makes you want the fall to get here faster, makes you want football to get here faster, soccer, all the great sports that take place, and all the sports that Rutgers fans should be looking forward to with the current state of this athletic program, which might be at an all-time high if you look at sports across the board. We will have some soccer talk for you and some football with Chris Eisman of the USA Today Network joining me for an in-depth interview about different happenings, different comings and goings of the first couple weeks of training camp for Rutgers. Before we get to Chris, it's important to mention that the women's soccer team for Rutgers has been ranked first in the Big Ten women's soccer preseason poll voted by the coaches. This comes just a couple weeks after they were ranked sixth nationally um, in their AP poll for the preseason. This is a team that made a run to the College Cup last year, um, one of the last four teams before losing in the national semifinal to number one Florida State. This is a team that won the program's first ever Big Ten title and returns a ton of talent, so they deserve this ranking. And it's, a, it's an interesting one when you look at the, the Big Ten coaches poll compared to the national AP poll. Rutgers currently sits first in the preseason poll voted by the coaches, tied with Penn State. Now this is the first time that the votes have come in and there is a tie at the top for that number one spot, so that's interesting. Also, this is a milestone for Rutgers because this is the first time that not just the women's soccer team, but any athletic team has been voted number one in this pre, in, a, in a preseason poll. So that's a huge step for not just the women's soccer team, but the university as a whole. I say it's an interesting vote strictly because in the national poll, Rutgers is the highest team ranked at number six with Michigan coming in at nine and Penn State landed number 14. Here they have Rutgers and Penn State tied at the top with Michigan third in the Big Ten, um, the coaches poll. What does this mean exactly? Not too much. You know, the top teams are the top teams. You you know who's going to be good. You expect the top teams to be good coming into the season. So one spot here, one spot there will not make a whole lot of difference. And for Rutgers, they're certainly expecting to be if the team they were last year, if not better, when looking at who they're returning, they returned nine starters from last year's team, uh, 17 letter winners, and that's nine Big Ten selections, all Big Ten selections as well. And when you look at the leaders of this team, they did lose, they lost a lot from the senior class, but they returned a ton of talent at important positions. And that was also shown with three players being named players to watch for the upcoming season in Sarah Brocious, Megan McClendon, and Riley Tiernan. 
McClellan being the elder of the trio as a grad student returning in net for Rutgers, while Brocious is a junior. And of course, Tiernan is returning after an incredible freshman year, looking to build on that momentum in year two. And that's who we're going to start with because she was named the Big Ten Freshman of the Year last season after you know scoring eight goals and finishing with 13 assists, which led Rutgers. She has a chance to solidify herself as one of the best players in the conference. And that's an exciting thing for the Rutgers program to have a player so young who can elevate her game, has a chance to elevate her game to be one of the elite players in the conference. Uh, Tiernan was named all big 10 first team and selected obviously to the all big 10 freshman team, considering she won freshman of the year. This is a, you know, an exciting player. She knows her game. She does it well. She brings a unique style and personality to this Rutgers team. So the step that she'll be able to take from freshman year to sophomore year already as a dynamic player will be something that Rutgers can really build on. And she'll be, she took over as a leader toward the end of her first season. That'll continue as well into her sophomore year. Brocious is you know, returns after starting all 25 matches for Rutgers last year. That includes a perfect 10-0 record in the Big Ten. So this is a team that's they're battle-tested, they're experienced, they know what it takes to win in the Big Ten, and that's what they're going to bring to the 2022 season as well. And Brocious is one of those players that has a lot of miles. She's, you know, entering her junior year as you know, she finished second on the team last year in minutes played. She finished with 14 points. She does a lot of things well on the field. And then, of course, McClellan in the goal, all Big Ten third team, all region third team, um, 13 shutouts last year while making 83 saves in total. So the team as a whole has plenty ex- plenty of experience, and that's something that you know gives them sky-high expectations heading into the season. And... You know, they're hungry. They're hungry, especially after making that run last year. They have the experience of winning the Big Ten title. They were able to make it to the College Cup, being one of the final four teams left. And that is something that excites this team going into the season, which starts on Thursday. They'll be in New Mexico for two games, starting Thursday against New Mexico and then playing UNLV on Sunday before heading out to Providence next Thursday with their home opener being August 28th, which is a Sunday against Buffalo. And after last season, that should be a packed game. Rutgers fans should come out and support this women's soccer team that has plenty of expectations, like I mentioned, plenty of talent returning. And there's going to be a lot to watch on the soccer field this year. As for the football team, we are another week into training camp and questions are continuing to be answered Greg Schiano has continued to play things close to the vest, which is what is expected. He's not going to throw too much out there at this point in the season. Rutgers just went through their first scrimmage on Saturday, so the coaching staff got to see different players at different positions in game situations, which is something that Schiano has said he's going to focus on because of he needs to know the player's ability to make decisions um, in game situations. So scrimmages are going to be something that Shiano and the coaching staff watches closely. That is something that I will get a bit more in detail about during my conversation with Chris Eisman, who's had a chance to really get a good look at this Rutgers team during practices, during training camp, as they prepare for the 2022 campaign to start. 
We will take a quick break before we come back, and I am joined by Chris Eisman. We now welcome Chris Eisman, who covers Rutgers football for the USA Today Network. Chris, thank you for taking some time to join me today. Absolutely, Greg. Thank you. I appreciate you uh, having me on. Training camp obviously well underway for this Rutgers team. Uh, Greg Schiano's mentioned the energy a lot um, on multiple occasions following practices. From what you've seen uh, being out there, what could you say about this energy? You know, what are the vibes like around this team early in the uh, training camp? Yeah, I mean, I think just talking to the players and, and kind of um, just being around the team the last couple of weeks and, and even going into spring practice, you know, it, it, it kind of goes back to that point, too. Um, it's a younger team, right? I mean, there's a lot of guys pushing for jobs, vying for spots, trying to prove themselves. Um, and actually, it, it's funny you mention that because, um, you know, Greg Shannon spoke about uh, the kind of the competitiveness of the program right now. And, you know, it's at, a, it's at the highest level that it's been since he returned uh, a couple of years ago. And it's kind of, you know, he said it, it's kind of leading to a real battles in practice. And he said today it was like, you know, he said it was a real heavyweight fight between, you know, offense and defense guys. You know, um, you know, one side gives, the other side gives a little bit. You know, it's just a battle going back and forth. So I think you're starting to see that. And he said that's a, that's a sign of a program, you know, on the rise, um, kind of, you know, in the middle of the climate they're on. So I definitely think that they're, they're he's been happy with the energy. Like I said, the competitiveness, the battles that are going on in practice. Um, so I think that that's something that's definitely stood out, you know, not just to kind of everybody around the team, but also the, the coaching staff as well. So, you know, that's, I, I, you know, if you're Rutgers, I think you should, you know, be encouraged by that um, and, and kind of what it could potentially lead to once the season gets started and obviously even, you know, into the next couple seasons. You know, you mentioned the the battles between offense and defense and obviously the main position battle a lot of people are talking about is the quarterback situation. Um, Shiano said it's a three-man race to this point. Obviously, we expect Noah Vedral and Gavin Wibsat to have a slight edge heading into the season. Do you see any chance there's a clear-cut winner of that job before week one, or is it going to? can you see it being more of a multi-quarterback system like it was a little bit last year? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's funny. You mentioned that, you know, Wimsat and Vedral having an edge. I mean, and, and I kind of thought that too, but every opportunity that he's gotten, you know, Shiano has included Evan Simon in this. So he's very much in the thick of this thing. You know, what that means exactly we'll see going forward. But um, I absolutely, I you know, my whole going back from to the spring and you know, I kind of always believed that Noah Vedral was going to start against Boston College. Like I kind of believed that he was going to be the, the guy that week. And then they were going to at some point get Wimsat in and, and get Evan Simon in. And I really haven't moved off of that too much just because they've always played multiple quarterbacks. Sean Gleason has done that at previous stops. He did it last year. You know, we saw what happened in the Gator Bowl. I mean, four different – I mean, it was just a ton of, you know, multiple quarterbacks were getting snaps. So I could absolutely see that happening. And Shiano has said that that's something that he's not afraid to do, that he will do it um, if nobody kind of declares himself as the starter. So there's no doubt that I could see that happening now. You know, whether my prediction of Vedril starting comes true, we don't, you know, that remains to be seen. But that's kind of always the way I felt. That was my gut instinct. Um, it wasn't a strong gut instinct, to be honest. I, I you know, it's, I, I want to, you know, I'm not betting my rent on that anytime soon. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that that could definitely happen. And, that, and that's the direction that they would go and kind of get the other guys time too. You know, kind of see you know if this is a platoon situation. So, you know, I think that that's. I, I, I'll be honest. I don't know if we're going to know who won that job until about you know eleven thirty on September third. You know, half hour from kickoff against Boston College. So that that battle continues. And and Shiano has said several times. You know, going back to Big Ten media days, and then again when we talked to him uh, here in Piscataway, 
he's not going to rush it. He's going to let it happen and unfold. And he said at some point, typically, um, somebody will step up and get that job, whether it's Noah keeps it, whether it's Gavin wins it or Evan wins it. You know, that remains to be seen. But he said he's, he's not going to rush this thing. It will be interesting to see if they, um, like you said, it could happen right before, you know, kickoff of the game. That wouldn't be surprising to see um, from Rutgers. But it'll be interesting to see if they kind of plan to use this multi-quarterback system and, you know, name a starter, you know, person who's going to take the first couple snaps, but plan to have, you know, all the quarterbacks involved. Um, so there, is, there could be a legitimate chance that we see, you know, all three quarterbacks even, you know, a lot this season. Yeah, no question. And they each have a little bit of a different skill set, right? I mean, obviously, Noah Vegel is kind of, you know, the mobile. He can he can extend plays with his legs. Doesn't have the strongest arm. We know that. We know that that's one of his limitations. Um, but, you know, he can he can get make things happen. He's obviously a very smart quarterback. Um, he, he runs the offense well. And then Gavin Wimsat and, and Evan Simon both kind of have, you know, the bigger arms. And, and Wimsat's very mobile, too. So he can really extend plays and make things happen. Um, he has a very, very unique skill set. And so they each kind of do something differently. And I think that there, there's going to be ways that, you know, if it comes to this, that, that Gleason and, and Shiano kind of find ways, like you said, to kind of use, use either two of them or all of them. Um, if nobody really, again, as I keep saying, you know, goes out and, and earns the job outright. So again, you know, I, this has been the battle. It was the battle in spring. Uh, no one, no one earned the job. No one really separated himself enough coming into training camp. And as things kind of, continue on you know we were talking to shiano today about the scrimmage and he said you know both of them you know they all they all made some good plays you know they all made some plays that they'd like to have back um and he said it's just you know this thing is going to continue so this is i think another important week you know obviously as as the season gets closer and closer this is another important week for those guys to, to kind of try and give themselves some separation whether that happens um you know is the big question the offensive line is obviously important as well when you're looking at um, overall quarterback play to improve. And that's obviously not been the strongest unit in recent years for Rutgers. And there's some newcomers along this line as well. How, how do you expect that uh, the offensive line to gel coming into the season? How long does it usually take for some guys to get to know each other who really haven't played together in uh, previous years? Yeah, I mean, I think it depends on every every unit, every group. Um, this, this group, you know, talking to them lately and then even you know going back to spring practices they were kind of coming together pretty quickly and the thing that helps too is for the most part the transfers that they bought in they're they're veteran guys you know they've been around a while they kind of know what it takes they're not you know the the young guys that we we've heard about and and written about and talked about you know Rutgers brought in the seven uh you know uh, offensive linemen in their last class and you know in in 22 and it you know, those guys are still young. I mean, it takes time to develop and be a, a really high caliber offensive lineman in the Big Ten. So obviously the transfers were kind of brought in to kind of you know, help bridge that gap. And they're, they're older guys. They're veterans. Like I said, they, they kind of know what the deal is. Um, they're, you know, for the exception of Curtis Dunlap, who's obviously played in the Big Ten, there's going to be a learning curve. You know, you put a guy like J.D. Dorenzo, it's, it's a big jump going into the Big Ten now for him. So I, they have said, they've, they've said, you know, pretty confidently that they're coming together well. Um, again, and, and that's the big... You know, we can talk about the quarterbacks all day long. We can talk about the running backs all day long. And I think that group has potential. We can talk about the wide receivers. I think that position group has potential. None of it's going to matter if the offensive line doesn't make the progress that Rutgers needs it to make. And that group is the the absolute biggest question hanging over the, the potential for this team overall and the offensive success this year. If they can't protect and they can't, you know, show improvements from the last couple of years, especially last year, then the offense is going to struggle again. So you're absolutely right when you said, you know, that that's a, it's a big deal and it's going to continue to be a big deal. And, and Shiano said today, he said they're improving, they're progressing, but it's by inches, you know, and it's going to be a steady climb all season. So, 
you know, what that means come September 3rd, we're going to find out, you know, just how much better this old line is and what these transfers can do. We know like, that they have size. They're, they're closer to having Big Ten size, and they look more like a Big Ten offensive line. But can they compete against Big Ten, you know, defensive lines? And, and that's that's those are the battles, you know, and then that's going to how going to be how Rutgers uh, offensively improves overall. So everything's going to be dictated by what they do up front. And obviously um, bringing in this experience is important for this offensive line you mentioned, especially with the, you know, the ongoing injury of Reggie Sutton. And is there anybody that you've seen early on um, of these transfers that has really made an impact or is everybody still kind of working as a whole, whether it's, you know, J.D. Dorento, you mentioned Dunlap. Has anybody kind of stepped up and taken over a certain position that you expect to contribute right away? Yeah, I don't think any, you know, they're, they're really at that point yet to say if anybody, and again, we're not really going to know again until September 3rd, until the season gets going when you see these guys against other teams, especially once Big Ten play, uh, starts up. You're not really going to know, you know, uh, who, who kind of is the best offensive line transfer that they brought in. So I think it's too early to say that at this point, because quite frankly, and, and Shiano said this, they don't even know who the best five are right now. Like they don't know, you know, they're just, they're still kind of figuring things out. They're still tinkering, kind of trying to move guys around and figure out what's the best combination. And that sounds familiar because that's how they spent the last season too. So that, that kind of, that's still ongoing. You know, it's, it's going to be some time before anybody, you know, they, they settle on the best five and then you kind of find your next best five and, so there's some there's some things that still have to happen here. Where you know I don't think we're at that point. I mean I I think you can you know, talking to Augie Hoffman you know back in the spring. I mean he raved about these guys about the way that you know JD Dorenzo works and you know uh, Mike Jafoni you know maybe the best athlete uh, in that room. I mean so I think you can look at that and say that, that that's their potential and, and that's how they've got you know the coaching staff has talked about them. But I, I do think it's too early to say right now. You know, as we sit here on what is it, August fifteenth, was about three weeks to go till till the start of the season. You know, what transfers um, have really stepped up and, and proved themselves? I, I think that they're still trying to figure that out. Honestly, you mentioned the running back position as well, and it's interesting to me because it seems like there's you know four positions that are really being discussed on this Rutgers team. Obviously, the quarterback and offensive line being at the forefront, and then kind of that second tier being that running back position and the linebackers, which we'll get into um, in a second here, but. With Young still recovering from an injury from last year, um, how do you expect this uh, running back position to look? Obviously, Kyle Manungai getting a lot of experience last year, but it's not easy replacing a guy like Isaiah Pacheco, who was really a workhorse for Rutgers over the last three years. Yeah, I think that running back room, um, I, don't, I wouldn't say it's the strongest position group. I, I would I would give that more toward the D-line, although the depth there has taken some hit. But I, I, I would put the running back room up there as, as the best position group uh, for Rutgers. I mean, you know, with Manungai, obviously, he's a really, really good between-the-tackles runner, a, a tough physical um, rusher um, who can really create some problems. And they brought in a really, really talented young, young running back in Sam Brown, who um, I'm very interested to see, you know, what role he's used in and, and what opportunities he gets. Um, he wasn't there in the spring, so he's kind of still getting caught up, I think, in a lot of ways. So, But I think he has a, a tremendous potential. Al Shadi Salam uh, is another guy who has tremendous speed that we saw in, in the spring game. And he's still young. He's still you know learning and growing and developing. But I think he had some nice depth there. But again, as you said, you, know, you mentioned Aaron Young. And and that's, you know, not having him as he kind of continues to recover. You know, I think he's going to change things, too, because he's so versatile. I mean, you can, you know, he's great in the passing game. Um, obviously, we know the speed that he has. So, you know, that that's definitely, I think, and I, I don't think that anybody necessarily has to be the quote-unquote feature back. I think that they all have a unique skill set. 
Um, and I think that they can all kind of be utilized differently within the offense. So I definitely think that that's going to be one of the most intriguing positions to watch. Uh, I think that, you know, those guys, you know, that, that position group, as I said, uh, has a real chance to be a strength for this team again. But, you know, I'll keep saying it because it's just a fact that, you know, they have to, you know, have room to run. They have to have space and that all starts up front. So we saw that last year. You know, you think that you look at what Pacheco's doing in, in Kansas City and he's, he's getting rave reviews. It's training camp. You know, we'll see what that means once the regular season starts. But, you know, you really wonder, you know, what if, what if Rutgers had a, a more dominant offensive line, you know, what, what could have been for, for that offense. But, you know, whether or not this year, you know, those guys, the guys that are here now, you know, have that luxury, <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll find out in a few weeks. You know, we keep mentioning the offensive line having the, having an impact on so many positions. And, you know, indirectly almost, the, the wide receiving group is the same way as well because quarterbacks need time to throw the ball, obviously. They need to be able to run their route, get downfield. Bo Melton obviously being another huge loss from that offense, being the threat that he was on the outside. Uh, Rutgers did add some new pass catchers, you know, Taj Harris, Sean Ryan coming into the offense. And Aaron Cruikshank, who will also kind of feel like a new addition as well with him returning from his injury, whenever that may be. What kind of production can Rutgers get from from the receiving room this year? Is there going to be that downfield threat that the team's kind of lacked outside of Bo Melton in previous years? I think that, you know, there's definitely um, some encouragement. There's some there's some good signs in that room. I, I think that, you know, there's there's guys who definitely get separation from these Big Ten uh, defensive backs, Big Ten cornerbacks. That's something that at times was, was an issue last couple seasons. These, they have speed. Um, you know, I think, I mean, Taj Harris, you know, we'll see what he can do, but I think he's going to be, you know, he's going to be motivated. Um, you know, he was one of the best wide receivers that Syracuse had in its history. I mean, he was, he was, you know, he ranks up there in, in several categories. I mean, that was, it was a big addition, you know, we'll see what he can do once the season starts. Obviously you mentioned Sean Ryan, but yeah, I mean, getting Krukshake back is huge. I mean, he's, he's one, he, you know, with Bo Mountain not gone, he's the most explosive playmaker on that offense. Um, and, you know, he, he's got a real, he can, he can make game changing plays. Right. I mean, we know that we've seen it before. And, um, you know, I, I we, we talked to him the other day, actually, and he said, he said he felt really good. He said the toughest part at times is like having to kind of be held back a little bit because they're kind of still trying to work him in, you know, they don't want to risk anything. So they're kind of, I don't want to say taking it slowly, but they're taking it kind of methodically with how he gets ramped back up. And he said, you know, I said, I'm, I'm ready to go. He said, you know, when, when they let me, he said, I go full go. He said, I, you know, so he said, that's the tough part. And then, you know, I was talking to uh, Josh Youngblood, too, and he's a guy who's, who's dealt with injuries and, you know, he has, you know, incredible speed also. And, and he said this is the most, you know, explosive, best I felt since since being here and even going back to his previous stop at at uh, Kansas State. So I, I, you know, he's, I think that there's definitely potential for that, for that room to, to really step up again, you know, as long as, you know, the quarterback has time to throw. But there's definitely potential within that room. Yeah, it does seem as though there's a lot of newcomers on the offensive side of the ball, which really could work in Rutgers' favor. You know, Sean Gleason, if he's able to find the right system, put these players where they need to be in order to put some more points on the board. Um, switching over defensively, obviously the middle of the defense, th- there's been a ton of question marks. Who's going to play linebacker? Who's going to step up? And Tyreen Powell seems to be the popular name when talking about different uh, players who could step up in that position. Uh, what's his pr- production been like? I, You know, Shiano had some good things to say about him early on and really the group as a whole, obviously being as inexperienced as they are um, and losing a player, obviously like Fatu Kasi in the middle. Um, what could be expected of this linebacking group, which is really important as you go through the big 10 schedule? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the defense overall has a shot to be, you know, kind of certainly 
give Rutgers a chance, um, especially as the offense kind of lags behind. But obviously, the question mark now is, you know, what is that linebacking crew? You know, what are those guys gonna gonna be able to do? And, and as you said, they're young. I mean, they're very young and, and they're green in some ways. I mean, even you know, Deion Jennings, who has you know, probably gonna be stepping up into a bigger role. You know, he's he's an older guy. He's a veteran because he's been on the team for a while, but he's only started a handful of games since career. You know, so him and Tyreen Powell, I think, are, are going to be. You know, they're going to have big opportunities here ahead of them. Tyreen Powell is, is real. He's you know he's a tall, rangy, athletic. He's got great length. Um, he's at the early part of well, I don't want to say early, but he's early on in his development. I mean, he's still fairly young, and but he's shown some really good things in the past. And, you know, obviously losing Mo Ture, you know, that hurt. Um, losing Moses Walker, who was, you know, obviously the, the top-ranked recruit in New York, you know, coming in. He was young, too, but he had such potential because he was a four-star kid. And, you know, I think that they were high on him and losing him hurt. Um, Anthony Johnson and Austin Dean, they both played pretty well in the, in the spring game. So I think that those two guys are going to get some chances and, and you know, kind of show what they can do. So, you know, Shiano said today that 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 those linebackers they're they're coming along. You know, he said they, he he did say that they're they're showing some good things, but again, they are young. And and he you know he said in the past that it's going to be all about you know gaining experience and just trying to minimize the mistakes that they make. So I think that's going to be the big key. But I, I definitely you know if, I think if you're a Rutgers fan, I think that you have reason to be encouraged about you know the potential of, of Tyreen Powell as he continues to develop because. He, and they have to. I mean, it's, it's not just 3 you know, it, it losing him. It's, it was losing Tyreek Maddox-Williams and Tyshawn Fogg and obviously Drew Singleton. And, and, you know, it would have been, you know, pretty big for them if they were able to get Singleton back and, and just to kind of help that depth and provide some experience there. But obviously that didn't happen. So, um, you know, that's, that's definitely a young, a young position group. Um, and, you know, how, how, they quick, how quickly they kind of gain experience and grow is, is going to be huge for that defense. You know, you mentioned Drew Singleton, and I don't want to get too deep into, you know, a player that's that's not going to be there. But I've also been vocal when discussing this topic because of you know, considering the overall circumstances of the situation. Um, and Rutgers did say there's one more avenue they're going to try, but the overall, it, it doesn't seem positive, you know, in the direction that that's going, obviously. Do you feel like this was kind of an example by the NCAA, would you say, as to not set that precedent of players looking for different ways um, to kind of return to college after declaring for the NFL, or do you see, you know, something else kind of going on there? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's, it's, again, it's my opinion. I mean, it's, it's, I think a lot of it's the NCAA flexing its muscles where it can, you know, its power is weakening and it seemed like this was a chance where they could kind of, you know, have a decision and, and, you know, exert some force. My whole thing was, you know, and, and kind of the first day that, you know, Shiano was talking about at Big Ten Media Days, I was obviously busy and, you know, kind of writing it and covering the news story as it's happening, breaking news story. And then as kind of time went on, I kind of started to think about it. And it was just like, it just kind of seems like ridiculous. Like, just let him play. Like, listen, I get it. You know, I get, you know, that there's skepticism from some people that, well, he was in the pro, he, he was in the pro day. Maybe that didn't, that injury didn't have anything to do with it. You don't know. But at the end of the day, I mean, if he wants to go back to college and, the hypocrisy with kids getting money from God knows who in the NIL world now and, you know, basketball, you can sign with an agent and then, you know, go through the process and then go back to school. So I think there's just so much hypocrisy and, and uh, just, you know, poor decision-making. And anyway, that's my rant for the day, but that, that's kind of why I kind of felt strongly that like, you know what, just do the right thing and, and let them play. But, you know, the NCAA is going to NCAA. So here we are. 
Absolutely. And, you know, that's kind of the side I was on as well. And, you know, you, you see a lot of people out there trying to play devil's advocate too, as, as this raised to a national level of the different ways that players might try to um, return to school after either not being drafted or um, same thing, kind of maybe suffering an injury. But the situation here is one that we've never seen. So the NCAA definitely did have a chance. Um, staying on the defensive side of the ball, the secondary seems to be one of the bright spots heading into the season. And it seems difficult in college football, and especially in the Big Ten, a conference that's built in the trenches, to be kind of led by your secondary. Is that something that Rutgers might look like? Is there a way that the secondary can be the leaders defensively and really do it successfully over the course of the season? Well, I do think that's the case, if only because they're the most experienced, I mean, in in a lot of ways. You know, guys like, you know, Avery Young, and you know, Avery told me at Big Ten Media Days, he said he kind of plays like, you know, he actually feels like he's an NFL rookie. Like, this was a bonus year, a bonus opportunity to come back and, and be a leader. He kind of feels like he's playing, like, as if he's in the NFL at this point. Like, that's kind of his mindset. Like, you know, I'm getting this big opportunity. But he's obviously got experience. And, um, you know, Christian Izzian's, you know, been around a long time. Kess Abraham, I think, you know, had a really, really nice year last year and has got a, a really good chance to uh, continue to improve. And, and he's, a, he's a veteran guy at this point. So, yeah, I mean, no question. You know, there's definitely – that's that's where the experience on that defense is. And I think they're going to have to lead in a lot of ways. And, you know, there's other guys too. You know, you look at you know, a guy like Robert Longerbeam who, who shows some good things. Then, you know, Abe Benoson and Shaquan Loyal who played, you know, well in the Gator Bowl in the spring game. So there's definitely guys there who are younger. But, I, again, as you said, to kind of echo your point, you know, there's definitely – there's experience in that secondary. And I think they're going to need it. You know, final question here, Chris, and this has been great. Not an easy schedule, you know, obviously for Rutgers um, between the best of the best in the Big Ten and, you know, starting at the season with Boston College, who, you know, might have a chance to finish up near that top 25, top 30 range, you know, especially with Phil Jerkovic returning. Um, what do you see the ceiling for this Rutgers team being? You know, is there a path to six wins when you look at this schedule to kind of get back into that bowl game? Yeah, I actually, it's funny, you know, I actually wrote a story about that uh, when I'm online this morning, kind of about, you know, what that path would look like. And, you know, it's a tougher schedule this year, starting with that non-conference schedule, because essentially you're just, you're trading out Syracuse or Boston College, and Boston College is a better team than Syracuse was, certainly last year, we all know that. You know, if, if you lose to Boston College, does that kill your bowl chances? No, but it significantly dents it. And now you're having to go into, you know, your Big Ten play needing, you know, four wins at least to, to, to you know, qualify for a, for a bowl bid. And that's not an easy thing to do in that schedule. And starting off right away with Iowa, who, you know, I get Iowa, you know, their offense hasn't been great, but they turned most of the defense from last year that was a dominant defense and was kind of what won them games and, and made them a contender in the Big Ten West. Um, you know, the crossover game is more challenging this year. You know, I think you obviously – so you have to beat Boston College, in my opinion, to really give yourself a chance. Go 3-0, as they did last year, into Big Ten play, and then see what you can do against the teams that, you know, like the Nebraska. You know, they've obviously struggled a lot. you got them on a Friday night at home, blackout game. You know, do something that night, you know, and then you have, you have Indiana, and then you have Minnesota on the road. Minnesota's a good team. They obviously have a great running back in Ibrahim, but – and PJ Flex on a really good job with that program, but they're probably you know fairly beatable. Um, and then you got Maryland at the end of the season, who you know we saw what happened last year. Um, you know, is is you know Tonga Bailoa is you know he, he dominated the defense last year, and this is going to be younger defense, so that's not going to be an easy game either. And I think Maryland will be better than they were last season, and they've got some weapons on offense. So 
It's certainly, as you said, it's a very, very difficult schedule. There is a path there. If everything breaks right, that offensive line is better. They get better quarterback play. The defense keeps, you know, you get some takeaways and, and you know, really uh, you know, plays well on that end. And, and you know, if everything goes right, there's a path to a bowl game. But it's not going to be easy. You know, I, I think, you know, you look at it like a five and seven is, is probably where I'm going to lean toward. But, you know, certainly a bowl game is not out of the question. One or two plays can, uh, can change a lot. And we've seen that before. So, you know, it's not out of the question, but it, it's not going to be an easy path. It will be interesting to see, especially with all the, the question marks that we highlighted here. But we're only about, we're less than three weeks now away from seeing it all come together on the field. Chris, thank you for joining us again. Uh, we appreciate your time sharing, you know, your thoughts and insights for the upcoming season. No problem at all, Greg. Thanks again for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you again to Chris Eisman for taking the time to join me on the On the Banks podcast to discuss Rutgers football and training camp. And, you know, you heard us touch on many aspects of the team to this point and again there's a lot of question marks whether it be the quarterback situation or the offensive line it could be defensively looking at the linebackers and you even go as far as the running backs and the and the wide receivers all skill positions seem to be question marks for the scarlet knights now that's not to say that it's a bad thing there should be some depth at certain positions we highlighted the offensive line who Greg Schiano said he would like to be able to play eight guys nine guys on a consistent basis given their conditioning given their status on the field we could see multiple quarterbacks implemented Taj Harris and Sean Ryan on the outside and hopefully Crookshank comes back healthy because he's a dynamic piece to this offense and again it all goes back to the offensive line if the line improves the quarterbacks might get that extra second, second and a half to get the ball downfield to these receivers. The running backs could have more holes to run through. So the offense as a whole could be putting some more points on the board if the offensive line improves. But it's still a work in progress. It's early in camp, a couple weeks left until Boston College. So this is a team that needs to put it all together. And it's going to take some time because of the new pieces that they have. The luxury that the team has is Greg Schiano running the show, Sean Gleason back for his third season as the offensive coordinator. This is a team that has seen a little bit of carryover, a little bit of consistency, and they're looking to have that transfer on the field. That's all we have for you this week on the On the Banks podcast. We will continue to bring new episodes every Tuesday, and we still have to highlight the schedule. We'll go a little bit more in-depth about the game-by-game schedule and prediction for the upcoming football season, along with some preview for Boston College in a couple weeks once that time rolls around. It'll be good to talk some live action, to talk some preview of the games that will be up ahead. So we will have that for you right before the September 3rd game week as Rutgers looks to take on Boston College. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation and subscribe to the On The Banks podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just search On The Banks.